Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 29. Chapter 7, Burkett Notes. Our blessed Savior, having continued his Sermon on the Mount in the former chapter, concludes it in this, with an exhortation to several duties, the first of which is to forbear rash judging of others. Verses 1 and 2. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye met, it shall be measured to you again. Burkett notes. Observe here the prohibition and the reason of that prohibition. The prohibition, judge not. This is not meant of ourselves, but of our neighbors. Self-judging is a great duty. Judging others a grievous sin. Yet it is not all judging of others condemned, but a judging of our neighbor's state or person rashly and rigidly, censoriously and uncharitably, especially unrighteously and unjustly. And the reason of the prohibition is added. If we judge others rashly, God will judge us righteously. Learn, thence, that a rash and censorious judging of others renders a person liable and obnoxious to the righteous judgment of God. Note farther that Christ does not here forbid judicial judging by the civil magistrate, nor ecclesiastical judging by the church governors, whose office gives them the authority to do so. Nor does he forbid one Christian to pass a judgment on the notorious actions of another, seeing the duty of reproof cannot be performed without it. But it is such a rash and censorious judging of our brothers, as is void of charity towards him, and as is accompanied with contempt of him, especially if we've been guilty of the same or greater sins before him. Verses 3 through 5. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thine brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote of thine eye? And behold, a beam is in thine own eye, thou hypocrite. First cast out the beam in thy own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Burkett notes, By the mote in our brother's eye is to be understood small and little sins, or some supposed sins. By the beam in our own eye is meant some notorious sin of our own. Learn one, that those who are most censorious of lesser infirmities of others are usually most notoriously guilty of far greater failings themselves. Two, that those who desire others should look upon their infirmities with a compassionate eye must not look upon the failings of others with a censorious eye. Three, that there is no such way to teach us charity in judging others as to exercise severity in judging of ourselves. Verse 6. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again, and rend you. Burkett notes, By that which is holy, understand words and ordinances in general, but admonitions and reproof in particular. By dogs and swine, incorrigible and unreclaimable sinners, hardened scorners of holy things. Tis a proverbial speech, expressing how sure charitable reprehensions are to be cast away upon incorrigible sinners. Learn one, that tis possible for sinners to arrive at such a height and pitch in wickedness and sin that it may be a Christian's duty not to admonish or approve them. Observe, too, how Christ provides, as for the honor of his word, so for the safety of those that publish it. As Christ will not have his word offered to some sinners, 
lest they should abuse it, so lest they should abuse those that bring it. When sinners turn rhinish swine and are in danger of being rent by them, Christ himself gives us permission to cease reproving of them. Verses 7-11 through Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asks, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocked, it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Burkett notes, Observe here, a precept and a promise. The precept, or duty commanded, is importunity and constancy in prayer. We must ask, seek, and knock. The promise or mercy ensured is audience and acceptance with God. Note 1. That man is a poor, indigent, and necessitous creature, full of wants, but unable to supply them. 2. That God is an all-sufficient good, able to supply the wants and to relieve the necessities of his creatures if they call upon him and cry unto him. 3. Yet if we do not presently receive what we ask, we must still continue to seek and knock. Though prayer be not always answered in our time, yet it shall never fail of an answer in God's time. 4. The natural propensity with which we find in our breasts to hear the desires and to supply the wants of our own children ought to raise in us a confident expectation that Almighty God will hear our prayers and supply our wants when we call upon Him. If a father will give when a child asks, much more will God. If ye, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father, etc.? God loves to be giving, and to give good gifts is his delight. But prayer is the key that opens both his heart and hand. Yet not every person, nor every prayer, shall find acceptance with God. The person praying must be a doer of God's will. St. John 9.31 And not regard iniquity in his heart, nor entertain any grudge against his neighbors. The matter we pray for must be what is agreeable to God's will, and the manner of our prayer must be in faith and with fervency, and unfainting perseverance. Verse 12. Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Burkett notes, Observe here, one, an incomparable rule of life, always to do as we would be done by. Note that the great rule of righteousness and equity in all our dealings with men is this, to do as we would be done unto. It's a short rule, a full rule, and clear rule. Both the light of nature and the law of Christ bind it upon us. Observe, too, the commendation of this rule. It is the law and the prophets. That is, the sum of the Old Testament, so far as concerns our duty to our neighbor, and the substance of the second table. Learn that it is the design of the scriptures of the Old Testament, first, to render men dutiful and obedient to God, and then righteous and charitable to one another. This is the law of the prophets. Yea, the whole of the law and the prophets, to love God above ourselves, and to love our neighbor as ourselves.
verses 13 and 14. Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few be there that find it. Burkett notes. Observe here, one, that every man is a traveler in a certain way. Two, that there are but two ways in which the race of mankind can travel. The one is straight and narrow, that leads to life and salvation. The other, broad and wide, which leads to hell and destruction. Three, that because of the difficulties in the way to salvation, and the easiness of the way to hell and destruction, hence it is so few walk in the one, and so many in the other. Four, that Christians, having the straight way to heaven revealed to them, in and by the word of God, should choose rather to go in that way, alone to life, than to run with the multitude in that broad way which leads down to the chambers of death and hell. 5. That the metaphor of a gate denotes our first entrance into a religious course of life, and its being straight denotes the difficulty that attends religion at first. Evil habits to be put off, old companions in sin to be parted with, But when faith and patience have once smoothed our way, love will make our work delightful to us. Verses 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns, or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Burkett notes, Observe here, one, a caution given, beware of false prophets. There were two sorts of deceivers which our Savior gave his disciples a special warning of namely, false Christs and false prophets. False Christs were such as pretend to be the sure Messiah. False prophets were such as pretended to own Christianity, but drew people away from the simplicity of the gospel. Observe, too, the ground of this caution. They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. That is, they make their fair pretenses to strictness in religion, and to greater measure and degree of mortification and self-denial than others. Whence we learn that such as go about to seduce others usually pretend to extraordinary measures of sanctity themselves, to raise an admiration among those who judge of saints more by their look than by their lives, more by their expression than by their action. What heavenly looks and devout gestures What long prayers and frequent fastings had the hypocritical Pharisees, beyond what Christ or his disciples ever practiced? Observe 3. The rule laid down by Christ, whereby we are to judge of false teachers. By their fruits ye shall know them. Learn that the best course we can take to judge of preachers pretending to be sent of God is to examine the design and tendency of their doctrines and the course and tenor of their conversations. Good teachers, like good trees, will bring forth the good fruits of truth and holiness. But evil men and seducers, like corrupt trees, will bring forth error and wickedness in their life and doctrine.
verses 21 through 23. Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Burkett notes, Not every one, that is, not anyone that saith, Lord, Lord, that is, that owneth me by way of profession, by way of prayer, and by way of appeal, shall be saved. But he that doth the will of my Father, sincerely and universally, learn hence, one, that multitudes at the great day shall be really disowned by Christ as none of his servants, that did nominally own him for their Lord and Master. Many that have now prophesied in his name shall then perish in his wrath. Many that have cast out devils now shall be cast out to devils then. Such as have now done many wonderful works shall then perish for evil workers. Note, too, that a bare name and profession of Christianity without the practice of it is a very insufficient ground to build our hopes of heaven and salvation upon. A profession of faith and purposes of obedience without actual obedience to the command of God will avail no person to salvation. 3. That gifts, imminent gifts, yea, extraordinary and miraculous gifts, are not to be rested in or depended upon as sufficient evidence for heaven and salvation. Gifts are as the gold which adorns the temple, but grace is like the temple that sanctifies the gold. Verses 24 through 27. Therefore, whoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every other one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Burkett notes, Christ here speaks of two houses, the one built upon a rock, the other upon the sand. These two houses were alike skillfully and strongly built to outward appearance. While the sun shone and the weather was fair, none could discern but that the house upon the sand was built as well and might stand as long as that on the rock. But when the rain fell, the foundation failed. Thus, where is the hypocrite, with all his faith and fear, with all his show and appearance of grace, in a wet and windy day? His goodly outside is like the apples of Sodom, fair and alluring to the eye, but being touched instantly evaporate into dust and smoke. A hypocrite stands in grace no longer than till he fall into trouble. And accordingly, our Savior here concludes his excellent sermon with an elegant similitude. The wise builder is not the frequent hearer, but the faithful doer of the word, or the obedient Christian. The house is heaven, the hope of eternal life. The rock is Christ. The building upon the sand is resting in the bare performance of outward duties. The rains, the wind, the floods are all kinds of afflicting evils, suffering, and persecutions that may befall us. Note 1. That the obedient believer is the only wise man. 
that builds his hope of heaven upon a sure and abiding foundation. Note, too, that such professors as rest in the outward performance of holy duty are foolish builders. Their foundation is weak and sandy, and all their hope of salvation vain and uncertain. An outward profession of Christianity, though set off by prophesying and doing miracles, will not avail any man towards his account at the great day without the real and faithful, that universal and impartial obedience to the law of Christ which the gospel requires. Verses 28 and 29. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Burkett notes, Here we have two things observable. One, the manner of our Lord's teaching. It was with authority. That is, it was grave and serious, pious and ardent, plain and profitable. With what brevery, without darkness, with what gravity, without affectation, with what eloquence, without meretricious ornament, were our Lord's discourses. The majesty he showed in his sermons made it evidently appear that he was a teacher sent of God and clothed with his authority. Observe, too, the success of his teaching. The people were astonished at his doctrine, affected with admiration, believing him to be an extraordinary prophet. Learn that such is the power of Christ's doctrine, when accompanied with the energy of the Holy Spirit, that it makes all the auditors admirers, yea, believers. It causes astonishment in their mind and reformation in their manners. <laughs>